and welcome to another episode of Heartstock Radio. I'm your host, Carol Murphy. Daniel Hogan is in the studio. Today, our guest is Vincent Jen. He's the Chief Strategy Officer of Remake Hub. In just a moment, he's going to be with us. He's actually speaking with us from Shanghai today. And I'm here at home in my office studio, recording studio in Butte, Montana. So just a moment, we'll be back with Vincent Chen. As I went walking that ribbon the highway, I saw Hello and welcome back to Heartstock Radio. I'm your host, Carol Murphy. Remember that you can email us at heartstockradio at gmail.com. We're always happy to receive your emails here. And today, our guest is Vincent Jen. He's the Chief Strategy Officer at Remake Hub. Thank you so much for being on Heartstock, Vincent. Hi, Carol. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. We're excited as well. Can you give our listeners an introduction? What is Remake Hub? Okay, so what we do is that we turn waste into something useful again. So about like four years ago, my friend uh, CC started the company, uh, Remake Hub. First, we started doing some small projects like uh, re- upcycling, remaking like old clothes into like some old sweatshirts into some like cushion covers and, and 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 things like that. But and then slowly we we evolve into a company, a startup that we turn waste, uh, plastic and textile waste into something useful for big and small companies here in uh, Shanghai. And I'm wondering what you did before that. I'm guessing oh. that you had some experience in in textiles and or clothing manufacturing. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I uh, still still involved in my uh, family, family business that we do. It's, it's a 45-year-old family business. What we do is um, uh, make uh, like outerwear, like gown jackets for, for brands in Europe and in, in, in the U.S. So I, I was born into textile, this, uh, this industry. And my, and my co-founder, Cece, she, she was also in this industry. Uh, her parents were, and her mom's side was also in this industry. So we have a lot of background in textiles. And, and, my, and in college, I studied accounting. I also have some engineering background. So it, that kind of excites me into, that's how I like these tech things involved into like maybe uh, researching the new uh, materials, how to turn uh, waste into something useful again. So it, it all kinds of come together. Yeah. And where did you go to school? Was it here in the U.S.? Yeah, I went to uh, Cal Poly Pomona. It's uh, just outside of on the outskirts of L.A. County. And what made you decide to go to Cal Poly? It's kind of interesting because I have a, a, a strange... Uh, past connection with Cal Poly because they have a, a big horse program there, I think um, kind of funded by the Kellogg Corporation and the Kellogg family. So it's kind of Pomona, Cal Poly Pomona is near and dear to my heart. 
<laughs> oh, oh, wow. Oh, oh, that's, that's so cool. I never thought this. Like, yeah, a lot of people I talk to is like, somehow they always cross path with uh, Cal Poly uh, one way or another. I don't know. It's just like I was studying in, in high school in the U.S. back then. And then as usual, I applied for college. I got accepted from a couple, couple other places like uh, San Diego State, Cal Poly Pomona. Cal Poly Pomona was the last one that sent me the acceptance letter. And I was like, okay, Cal Poly Pomona sounds like a good school. And, and at that time, my brother was uh, living in uh, in in Southern California, in Irvine also. So I was like, okay, Cal Poly is just closer to him than, than uh, San Diego to, to him. So, okay, let's, let's go to Cal Poly Pomona. Yeah, that's, that's uh, just how I picked it here. Yeah. <laughs> and what did you study there? I, uh, I graduated with the accounting degree and they uh, also minored in marketing. But before that, I was studying uh, engineering, electrical engineering. And yes, this, we have big uh, horse uh, equestrian and the cattle foundation is uh, pretty big. Everybody, all the students knew about that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big, it's a big deal at Cal Poly yeah. Pomona. Now, I'm just kind of curious, your family's business and your family's background is in textiles, all uh, kind of continuously based in Shanghai, I'm going to guess. Can you kind of help us understand why and how you ended up going to school in the U.S.? Did your family move over here or did they send you over to study? Uh, I sent over to study. I, I, was, I was born in Hong Kong. I, I, my parents started a company in Hong Kong ah. in the 70s. So, uh, yeah, so in the late, mid, late 90s, you know, it, it was trendy for uh, parents to, to send their kids to uh, study abroad. So Indeed. I went. I, at first... Yeah, so I went to uh, Canada first. I, I did two years of uh, my freshman and uh, sophomore year in, was, was in Canada, a high school sophomore and freshman year was in Canada. Then I finished up my junior and senior year in, uh, in California. Yeah. And I'm just curious, you know, from the student's perspective, going abroad, was there a lot of culture shock? What was it like being away from your family and what kind of perspective did that create for you? It, it, I had two cultural shots, actually. The first one was going to uh, North America. And it, it was very different. It was like, the food was all right. It wasn't really uh, that big for me, but it was more, you know, kids interacting, hot topics, what, what you could talk about in school and like how, how you dress in schools. I remember like the first few days of schooling in Canada. It was in, it was in the wintertime. It was in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. Oh. So it's uh-huh. just north of the uh, upper up, up peninsula of uh, Michigan. So it's kind of remote and very cold in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. Half of the year is pretty much covered by snow. So first got there and uh, go to school, I would I was wearing like, you know, a sweatshirt, as cardigans, that type of sweatshirt. And now I was looking at the school, it's like, oh, nobody wears that here. So a couple of days later, I, I, I didn't wear that anymore. <laughs> and then I was like, yeah, oh, everybody in the summertime is like, oh, all the kids wear T-shirts, like untucked. Okay, I, I, I should wear that. I, I, I would do that too. You know, it, these things. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then sometimes some kids say something and I was like, hmm. I have to pretend as like, yeah, yeah, I got it. <laughs> Laugh along. So, so that was the, 
the <laughs> cultural shock that was going in that that was very uh, big difference because there weren't any Asians at all in my school. Yeah. Mm. Um, and then coming back from North America to, to, to Shanghai, it's, it was, it was huge because I spent 10 years in North America. So I was going back to Shanghai. I was like, wow, that's very different. Why there's so much traffic. And at that time, Shanghai was still has a lot of traffic because they were building like all the roads and the metro uh, subway systems. So I was like, there was a lot of construction. It's like, why so dusty here? It's like so many people. Hmm, people driving were a bit more aggressive than in Southern California. Hmm. <laughs> and, and then people were saying like, hmm, this guy is speaking Chinese a bit slowly. How come? Hmm. <laughs> yeah, so that, yeah, so I had two cultural shocks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. And mm. what year did you go back to Shanghai? 2005. Okay. Yes, very interesting. And I'm just kind of curious, of course, we have to talk about your experiences there with COVID. Recently, there was another lockdown mm -hmm. that we heard about. What has life been like there for you as a business person trying to carry on a manufacturing business with lockdowns? The, the lockdown, uh, it was in, in the Shanghai city limit. So it didn't really affect the factory as much. The factories in Shanghai had to had to lock down, but uh, we didn't have factories in, in Shanghai, so it, it was tough. It was uh, things got delayed because uh, the shipments were were also uh, didn't couldn't go on, so uh, we couldn't ship things. And then once we start to ship things, it was a bit slow, so it was a lot of delays, and and then everybody just. You know, get on Zoom, get on on the virtual, just have meetings and waited it out. Once we waited out, and then we slowly get back into the the, the rhythm again. But uh, uh, the delay was the, the major thing. Okay, let's let's uh, let's discuss. Let's talk about it after the lockdown and, and so on. Mm hmm. And how about your partner? Can you share a little bit more? You said uh, her name is Cece. And um, yes. she was the one who originally started your business. Can you talk just a little bit about kind of being a, a co-founder and how that all evolved at Remake Hub? Yeah, like me, she, she studied abroad too, but she studied abroad in, in the UK. So the reason she started Remake Hub was she got back uh, from UK to, to China uh, later than me, a lot later than me. And then she found it's like there was a lot of uh, the air was polluted compared to to in UK, and then she got some algae, and then she's like, okay, she wanted to do something that to you know clean up the environment and so on. At that time, China was just at the beginning phase of uh, starting to tackle the uh, the pollution issue. So, and about what year was that? You think uh, that was about two thousand. 17 around that time okay. that she came back and mm -hmm. then wanted to 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 tackle that at that time china was uh it's like really taking this uh pollution issue really seriously and uh her mom was uh, in the uh, textile industry too, so she 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 could really see that it's uh textile was uh was uh, uh this industry as a uh, as pollution issue so okay so she started in the textile but we now slowly evolve from textile also, and doing some uh, plastic recycling as well. So that's how, how we, we started, yeah. And at what phase did you 
join the company? Was it already launched or were you pre-launch? Uh, after launch, we I started because in the 2018 in the uh, sustainability world in Shanghai, it was really, really small. Everybody knew each other. And then there was this girl, Sissy, coming into this new exciting uh, industry. She was like, okay, there's a girl called Sissy. Okay, she's doing this textile upcycling thing. Okay, let me see what she's doing. So we knew each other back then. We just say hi. And then we just kept along. And then, and then uh, in, in about 2019, we, she reached out to me. She's like, there was a, a project that she wants to uh, me to help. And then from that, we, we felt that a lot of things, we direction-wise and, and, and uh, value-wise, we had a lot of things in common. So let's do this together. Yeah, so that's how we got together and do this. Being co-founder, sometimes it's, it's, um, it's, it's tough in, in a sense because when you you own your own company when you're just yourself you you can't call your shots right when you're a co-founder with somebody then you have to like discuss and then talk with the other person sometimes they may not be in line with what you're thinking and so on so you sometimes you have to convince you sometimes you have to just like go along and sometimes you just have to uh if there's some heated debate you just have to kind of back off and then just like (laughs) see and then uh, sometimes each, each other complement each other's skills. So she was more into the design that I'm more in like the uh, technical side of things. So sometimes we have different perspective on things So because uh, our background was different. Uh, but yeah, you just have to learn to, it's like marriage, right? It's just like mm-hmm. you have to learn to live with each other and yes. work with each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was I was just going to say it's, it's kind of like, like a marriage <laughs> in many ways. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to take our midway point break. In just a moment, we shall be back with Vincent, and we'll talk a little bit more about the nuts and bolts of Remake Hub and your recycling processes and all of that kind of fun stuff. This is Hardstock. We'll be right back. This is Heartstock Radio. I'm your host, Carol Murphy. Today, we're speaking with Vincent Chen. He's the Chief Strategy Officer of Remake Hub and a co-founder. We were just talking about your co-founder, Cece, and working through all of the things that come up in any kind of enterprise. And I'm just wondering, how do you recycle textiles, you know, can you kind of give our listeners a view of the process? And then how did you expand that to plastics as well? Okay, cool. Uh, So the textile part, right now we're still uh, doing more mechanical process. So literally just take clothes, we cut off the parts where that it's uh, doesn't have like prints or have the sewing threads or other like uh, embroideries on or tags on. And then uh, we, we cut that part off and then we uh, 
shred it into small pieces and then go to the machines, it would turn it into fiber. And these fibers are, are sometimes it will go back to the uh, supply chain again. It can make like a new, new clothes. Like for example, if you have a cotton t-shirt, that cotton can go back, that, if it's a white cotton t-shirt, it can go back to make a new, new jeans and so on. And if it's some mixed materials, then usually right now we are doing is just uh, turn that into some uh, insulations for automotive industries or other uh, uh, construction in- industries. But uh, uh, we're also working with other companies to see there, uh, how we can make that uh, more valuable the ones that we cannot uh, go back to the uh, supply chain. And the plastic side, it's at, uh, it's just when we were start out there, so we were doing some clothing uh, uh, projects and then there are the companies and people asking me, so like, can you do some plastics? And so I'm like, mm, okay. CC's uh, dad had some uh, connections, resources in that kind of molding industry. I think we could do that. So that's how we started to do the plastic parts. So we, we take some bottle caps from, uh, from some restaurants and so on and turn them into something useful, like a souvenirs or something to, to let the consumers know, okay, these things can be recycled. Just think about that. And then uh, sometimes we took some old toothbrush heads and then uh, turned part of it into a toothbrush stands like an electric toothbrush stands. So we've done something like that also. Mm. Yeah. And uh, textiles are one part. We, we also did some like some old shoes. We turned the so- outsole into uh, uh, some, something useful, some like uh, seat, seating, like cushioning for the uh, retail shops and so on. Yeah. So I'm just curious, you know, being in the textile or clothing industry and CC coming back and seeing a lot of the negative impacts. Can you give our listeners a, an idea and a view of what some, uh, what, if what exactly, hmm, maybe exactly is not the best word, but give us a sense of the levels of pollution and what it's like there. I mean, I'm trying to think the last time I have to start counting on my fingers and toes. But when I went to China, the biggest thing that I noticed as far as pollution, the various sundry places I went is a lot of water pollution um, in the rivers and um, air pollution. I At the time, I lived in the Central Valley in California, and I would hear people say things like, we have the worst air on the planet. And I had to tell them, no, actually. <laughs> oh, the time that I went to Beijing, you couldn't see literally the house across the street, as opposed to in the Central Valley, we couldn't see the Sierra Nevadas because the air was so thick. I mean, mm-hmm. here in Montana, it's a like you experienced in Canada, I'm sure that's it's a very pristine environment compared to these high-density populated areas. Speaking more on the issues with textiles and clothing, can you give us an idea of, you know, some impacts that you're trying to turn around and things that you've seen firsthand there? Yeah, um, it, in the, um, it was really night and day. Yeah, back in the days when I first got back to Shanghai and, and even in the 
2010s or 2015, it was still very, uh, the air pollution was still quite, uh, could just see it, right? But now it's, it's just like in this five, six year time, it's really changed. Uh, part of the change was because uh, there was a lot of rules and regulations on um, cleaning up the air and cleaning up the water. So uh, that led to a lot of uh, old uh, mills and dying houses uh, shut down and like uh, you have to upgrade the machines and so on. So in, in this industry back then was uh, water pollution and, and, then, and then also some places you could just smell that in the air, like in the factories, just like the, the, the dyes and the chemicals and things. But now it's just, uh, it's, it's completely changed. There was a time, I think back then, there was a time uh, some of the prices of uh, weaving, dyeing uh, were raised because uh, uh, some of these old uh, places, uh, old mills were shut down because they didn't meet the regulations. Uh, and then some of the, the companies, uh, they invest into new, new equipments to, to meet the regulations. So now it's, it's very different. Now it's a lot cleaner. Mm-hmm. And now uh, we, we're just working on how to uh, lower the carbon, uh, trying to reuse more of these uh, old textiles, working on, on, on these things. Yeah, so it's, it's now but we transition from like pollutions to getting the pollutions under control. And now we're working on how to lessen the, uh, the impact, trying to uh, lower, keep on the, lowering the, the, the carbon, lower the water usage, uh, and also finding ways to um, reuse these uh, clothes and, uh, and, and so on and recycle them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's transitioning. Yeah. It's, it's growing. It's, it's evolving. Yeah. And that's encouraging because we all breathe mm-hmm. that air, <laughs> not just people living in Shanghai, right? We're all connected. And um, I'm very encouraged to hear you saying that. And I noticed that you do a podcast. Can you share with our listeners um, a little bit about your podcast? Oh, I I was just guest of a couple podcasts. So, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I was as I, I I wasn't uh, the, the the host. I was just uh, got invited to 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 talk in the in this podcast. So ah. it, it was it, it was fun. Yeah, most usually a dumb is about my textile industries or uh, about like entrepreneurial journeys and, and things like that. Yeah, usually those topics. Mm-hmm. And what lays ahead? What kind of plans are you making for the future for your enterprise? For us, we just uh, keep evolving and, and innovating. I think uh, we're, we're constantly trying to find solutions that we can use in, in, in uh, out here in China to uh, to better to recycle the clothes, like the, uh, increase the uh, recycling rate, utilization rate, uh, make more valuable uh, products out of it. Uh, yes, uh, uh, talk to also work with other, uh, different people in the industries or somehow connected to the industry and see what kind of new things, new ideas they got to, they can, uh, we could work together, inspire each other and, uh, yeah, just, just evolve, just uh, try to, uh, stay ahead and uh, not too ahead because if you stay too ahead, you have to 
survive it sometimes could take a long time uh, it was a long struggle yeah so we try to be like be 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 on the front of the curve you know and and uh and, and be there yeah and also um uh just 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 be be vigilant and see what kind of new opportunities and new technologies are out there for to to make things better yeah can you talk a little bit about where your clothes come from? Are you depending upon consumers to recycle their clothing? Is it all China-based, or do you get clothing from overseas as well? Uh, we've done uh, mostly China-based, so clothes from the consumers and also some clothes from the brands collected from the consumers. Uh, a lot of uh, there would be some was was uh, defects or when people return things they uh, like e-commerce when they return things there was some lipstick stain on the clothes and that that weren't much but uh, so these unsold sellable things so yeah so we got from brands and uh, consumers usually that way uh, we're also looking to see uh, if we could have partners to do it outside of. Uh, uh, China, because uh, some brands, some companies talk to us like uh, we have we have some some uh, want to do some projects in different comp- uh, uh, countries, mm-hmm. regions. Do you have any like resources or yeah that could help us? Yeah, are consumers fair pretty aware about the importance of recycling clothing uh, once they're done with their them and their usefulness Do, is there a, a lot of consumers involved in recycling of clothing uh it comes in different speed speed um like there's some more um forward thinking uh, uh consumers you know the early adopters they would be uh are more willing to you know uh work into this okay keep on clothes recycling and and, and so on and there's some like uh older all the consumers, because uh, in in China we we don't usually uh, want to sell sell our used clothes because uh, some people think it has some bad omen. You know, depends on which region or, or part of China you have, especially some older older people. Uh, so they would usually pass them along within their relatives. Sometimes they don't. They they just felt oh, so it could be some bad omen or something. <laughs> um, you know, it's just different culture. Uh-huh. Yeah. We just have to, um, but it's it's getting better because um, countrywide we're implementing like a trash sorting uh, uh, system, so people will sort out their plastic trash, recycled recyclables, kitchen waste, food waste, and and non recyclables, and so on. So it, it's getting there. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, uh, consumers' mindset about recycling and uh, uh, reusing—it's—it's—it's it's, it's growing. It's definitely growing. And the and the younger younger crowd—they they don't have these uh, 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 living big city. They don't have sometimes these uh, cultural attached like bad omens or something. So they will be more maybe willing to uh, use second hands and so on. I do different things with it. Yeah. So sadly. We have once again run out of time, and please share with our listeners how they might find you to carry on the conversation. How can they reach you? Yeah, 
Uh, you can also always find me on LinkedIn. There's only one Vincent Jen, last name DJ Yen on there, so it's it's very easy to find me on LinkedIn there. Yeah. DJ Yen, right? Yeah. Yes. Fantastic. Yeah, last name. Yeah. And um, thank you so much for being on Heartstock and sharing what you're up to. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Carol. Indeedy. And as usual, we will be back next week. Until then, peace. The voice was Hardstock Radio is a production of KBMF 102.5 Butte America Radio. Hear our programs every Friday at 5 p.m. Mountain Standard Time via live stream at butteamericaradio.org. No trespassing, but on.